Well, good morning. Have a seat where you are. Uh, thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for those who are watching live stream. Appreciate you coming, and uh, glad that you're here. It's good to see the Denslingers here, all the way from the great state of Arkansas. I know y'all had to put some shoes on uh, to come back to Texas, but and congratulations on Kaylee getting uh, uh, baptized. I can't see y'all, so congratulations. I said you didn't get baptized here, but we still gave you a shirt, and uh, we married off Abby this uh, weekend. And if you're into social media. I'm sure you've seen the great musical dancing moves of Spikes and I, and uh, his were a whole lot better than mine. It's funny, we were talking this morning that we're all a little, that's debatable, yes. Well, it's when you were doing this that really threw me off, but and that we're all a little sore. The older you get dancing, uh, and you don't do a lot of dancing, uh, it makes you sore. But we're glad that you're here, and uh, thank you for being here, and um, just want to encourage encourage you that uh, we will still meet at 10.30. We are just plugging on with this. We're going to meet here live at 10.30 if you want to come. And also uh, we'll be uh, live stream. We're just going to continue to do this uh, until uh, we can get back to growing us into two services. So glad that you're here. And uh, I want to pray for us. But uh, then after I, I pray for us, uh, I want you to watch this video, what you saw last week. It's the uh, the Bible Project. is a great video that kind of puts... Uh, those first 19 chapters of Exodus together. And so this week, we're going to take the, uh, this video that they did, which is really, is really, really good, and they're going to put uh, chapters 20 all the way to the end of Exodus to show us what, what we're going to uh, be looking at. Because uh, our hope is that we'll be done uh, with this uh, by the end of Labor Day, and we'll move on to a, a, another book or another study. And so uh, we won't be able to cover every part of 20 through 14 like we did 1 through 19, but we are going to cover, highlight those parts that will help us. Uh, understand what this uh, book was all about. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you to watch this video, and uh, we'll get started. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for loving us, providing for us like you always do. Help us to gain wisdom from um, our brother uh, that we never met, and that is Moses and Aaron, and, and help us to understand uh, how much you love us and how much you pursue us and wanted all this for your glory, but also to redeem uh, your creation. So we love you. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Exodus. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 through 18, which tell the foundational story of how God rescued the enslaved Israelites by confronting and defeating Pharaoh, while offering a way of escape through the blood of the Passover lamb. God then delivered his people by bringing them through the waters of the sea and then into the wilderness, where, surprisingly, they grumbled and complained. Now the second half of the book of Exodus opens as Moses leads Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai where God invites the nation of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship. And here we reach another key moment in the biblical storyline because this is picking up and developing God's promise to Abraham. So remember from the book of Genesis, God promised that through Abraham's family somehow he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And here we find out more. God says that if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant, they will be so shaped by God's laws and teaching and justice that they will become a kingdom of priests, which means that they will become God's representatives and show all of the other nations what God is truly like. 
Now the people of Israel eagerly accept the offer, and so God's presence appears right on the top of Mount Sinai in the form of cloud and lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up as their representative, and God opens with the basic terms of the covenant, the famous Ten Commandments. These are like the basic terms of the agreement, how the Israelites and God are going to relate to each other. And then after this come another collection of commands which fill out the first ten in more detail. There are laws about Israel's worship, about social justice, how they are to live together, all shaping Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the other nations. So Moses writes down all of these laws and he brings them down to the people who again eagerly agree to enter into this covenant with God. And once they do so, God takes the relationship forward another step. He tells Moses Moses that he wants his holy and divine and good presence to come and dwell right in the midst of Israel, which develops another aspect of God's covenant promises. So remember, after humanity's rebellion in the garden, it was access to God's presence that was lost. But now it's through the family of Abraham that God's presence is becoming once again accessible through this covenant relationship, and first with Israel, and then somehow one day to all nations. So what follows are seven chapters of detailed architectural blueprints about this sacred tent called the tabernacle. There's an outer courtyard with an altar, and then in the center there's a tent that has an outer room and then an inner room. And then inside the inner room, which is called the most holy space, is a golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And there's angelic creatures over the top of it. It's the hot spot of God's presence. Now there's lots of detail in these chapters, and it's important to know that every piece has some kind of symbolic value. All of the flowers, the angels, the gold and the jewels, it all echoes back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God and humans live together in intimacy. And so the tabernacle is like a portable Eden, so to speak. It's the place where God and Israel can live together in peace, at least in theory, because right here something goes really, really wrong. Israel breaks the covenant. As Moses is up on the mountain receiving the blueprints for the tabernacle, down below at the camp, the Israelites, they're losing patience. And so they ask Moses' brother Aaron to make for them a golden calf idol so they can worship it as the God who saved them out of slavery in Egypt. Now God's presence, it's right there on top of the mountain. They can see it. But here they are below, breaking the first two commands of the covenant they just agreed to. No other gods and no idols. Now what follows is really important. God knows what's happening down below. And so he first invites Moses into his own anger and pain. And he tells Moses what he wants to do, just to wipe Israel out. But Moses intercedes by appealing to God's character. He says, first of all, destroying Israel would be going back on your covenant promises to Abraham. And then Moses appeals to God's reputation among the nations. What would they think if they see you destroying your own people? And so God accepts Moses' intercession and he relents. And while he does bring his judgment on those who instigated the idolatry, he forgives the nation as a whole and promises to renew his covenant. And it's right here at this point in the story that God, for the first time, describes his own character to Moses. He says, the Lord is merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, 
but he will not leave the wicked unpunished. So we have this tension. God is full of mercy, but also he must deal with evil if he claims to be good. And above all, God is faithful to his promises, even though it means he knows he's committing himself to a people who are utterly faithless. And so after renewing the covenant with Israel, God commissions Moses to go ahead and build the tabernacle. And once again, we get five long chapters describing in detail the construction of the tabernacle. And it all comes together in the final chapter where the tabernacle's finished. God's glorious divine presence comes and hovers over the tent and our hopes are high. And so Moses, he goes right up to enter into the tent and he can't. He actually can't go in and that's how the book ends. It's really surprising, but not really if you think about it. You can see now how much Israel's sin has damaged the relationship with God in more ways than we realized. So the book opened, remember, with Pharaoh's evil threatening Israel and threatening God's covenant promise. But now as the book ends, Israel has become its own worst enemy. It's their sin that's threatening the future of the covenant. And so the question as the book closes is how is God going to reconcile this conflict between his holiness and his goodness and his presence with the sinful corruption of his own covenant people? The solution to that problem is what the next book is about. But for now, that's the book of Exodus. Uh, the greatest line there, or one of the greatest lines, is that we are our own worst enemy. Even with our relationship to Christ, we are our own worst enemy. We are the ones that make decisions for ourselves and keep um, making that same mistake over and over and over again. And uh, I love the way that they put that all together because what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at the last part of this uh, chapter. But I really want you to focus in. We're going to start with uh, where uh, they sinned while Moses went up to the, uh, the mountain. And so between all that is where God was setting up... Um, uh, these laws, um, and and you need to read through that. And I, I was reading through it, and you'll notice if if I were a woman reading that, I want to just say this: uh, you have to remember the, the the culture back then, because if you're a woman reading it, you're going to go, man, women were kind of like slaves, and uh, that was the culture then. It's not what we do now; it's not what we practice now. And they had slavery back then, and they talked about how to treat a slave, because what you have to remember is this is over a million people that are traveling, okay? It said 600,000 men, and then you have to add women, you have to add children. So you're looking at uh, uh, over a million people. I personally think it's closer to almost a million and a half to not even more, uh, a little bit more than that. But that's just, uh, that's just what I think. And as they're moving along, you have to remember that we read it very quickly, and we go, boy, that, that happened fast, but it was over a, a lot of time. And so as these people are moving, there are things happening. Somebody's goat runs away while they're camping out. You've got to look at it this way, and it runs over into their little area, and it eats their stuff. Or somebody's dog gets uh, out and, and, and goes up to a, a certain area and maybe kills a goat. And then people are fighting, and things are going on. Uh, you, even today that happens. You know, somebody gets something in your yard, or somebody takes up part of your yard, or somebody's not 
cutting their grass uh, enough. And so they turn you into the city and they do it. All these things are happening. And as they're moving, this is showing that these people, us, even today, it's just very difficult to deal with relationships and to deal with all these things that are going on. And so God is preparing them and preparing these laws and getting these things in place where they could have peace. Because we as people want peace, but sometimes we don't pursue it as hard. Does that make sense? Sometimes our flesh gets uh, beyond us and Christ wants us to treat, especially the body of Christ, peacefully. Wants us to, uh, to be kind to each other, to be patient with one another, but sometimes we lose that. And then we lose it out in the world. So all this just shows humanity uh, at its worst, but it always shows God at his best. In chapter 19, if you want to turn there in your iPhones, if you want to turn down in, in your Bibles, I'm looking at chapter 19. We're going old school. I'm jumping around so much that I didn't put the scriptures uh, up there uh, because we're going to move from different verses to different verses. Uh, in chapter 19, it says in verse 1, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped at, in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. So you can see all these people at the base of this mountain. It says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I did what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So he wants to remind them, Hey, tell the people, I brought you out of this. Don't forget that while you're at the bases of this mountain, I took care of you like little eaglets. And I, I did things for you that were incredible because I love you. And we must never forget what God does for us. I keep on going back to uh, uh, all of us having this history with God that we would recognize that he's the one. Somebody may have, may have gave, given us a check to help us out. Some may have given us a food. And you thank those people. But honestly, if you're a believer in Christ and you asked for it and you said, God, could you help me out of this? Could you give me this job? It was God that did that. And he said, don't forget the times that I've taken care of you. And we really do forget that because the next thing that comes along Long, what do we do? We doubt God and say, oh, what am I going to do? And we, we forget about this history with God. It says, uh, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And so if you go, well, what, what do you want us to learn today? It's very simple. It's what he's teaching here. He says, listen, first of all, I want you to listen. So he was telling uh, uh, Moses, he said, listen, go down there and tell them this. So first of all, he wants our ear. He wants us to listen. Now, when we accept Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that works in us, okay? And that's what we're supposed to listen to. After that, we have the Word of God. And this is what we're supposed to listen to. And a lot of times we don't listen. And you say, well... Even in here, uh, they say that, I don't know who makes it up all these weird statistics, but they say that two out of every three minutes, or yeah, two out of every three minutes, you're not with us. So while I've been speaking, subconsciously you were listening, and if I cut a joke here, you would laugh, and you would kind of hear what's going on, but two out of three minutes, you're gone. You were thinking about what you were going to have for lunch. 
You were thinking about uh, other things that you have to do this week, uh, some kind of distraction. So two out of every three minutes, we are not here. And so we try to listen, but we can't. Maybe we nod off, right? Uh, And so uh, it's listening. Now, listening here is a little bit easier, but listening while you're driving a car is difficult, right? Because sometimes you want to, want to get mad at somebody and talk out loud. And you're not listening to God going, don't, don't do that. Right? Are you, like I said before, when somebody passes you and they're, they were goobers driving, you want to see who they are when you're passing them and go, let me, who are you? Oh, and then you're, oh. And some of us make these statements, you know, oh, you're a woman. Oh, it's a man. Oh, it's somebody on their phone. And those are times that it's hard to listen. In the morning when you get up, and I really want you to hear this. He said, I want you to listen. So then it was, I want you to listen to my voice, and I want you to obey my commandments. So for us, he wants us to listen to his spirit, and he wants us to obey the spirit of God and do those things that please him. Everybody understand that? And when we take this story and we put it into our lives today, millions and millions of Christians, and we're walking with God, he says, listen. Listen what I did for you. Listen what I've done for you. Listen to the fact that I'm going to continue to do this for you. But he said, I want you to listen. And the second thing he said this, he said, I want you to obey me. And that's where we have a hard time obeying Christ. Now, back then it was very simple once the laws were in place, right? No. Those laws were so difficult for the people. And you've got to remember, when you're reading uh, 21 through, keep this in mind. They are very detailed about what happens uh, if, if a slave is hurt. It's what happens if an animal dies. And although on your piece of land or if an animal eats another animal of yours or whatever it is, there are lots of these sundry laws that come out because they saw that the people could not connect with one another. So then Christ comes along and he dies on the cross for us. And then we know through the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was all about the story of Christ. The the synoptics, they call them the gospels. And then we hear from Paul and all those other people. And they begin to really reiterate what God said at the very beginning. But he does it even deeper. It's even harder. It says, uh, we're going to look at a commandment that says, you know, you should not be an adulteress, right? Well, God came along with Jesus and said, if you even look at another woman and have a bad thought, you have sinned in your heart. So people go, well, boy, the the Ten Commandments are easier. Honestly, how Christ came in and told us to live and to be patient, to be kind, all the fruits of the Spirit, all the, uh, the ingredients of love that we're supposed to live out, it's even more difficult when you think about it. But this whole process of the law was to bring the people into this understanding as you live the way I want you to live. And guys, that has not changed. If anything, it's deeper. He wants us to live the gospel, to live the fact that Christ died for us on the cross and we will please him with all our heart. And he did this in the Old Testament uh, in, in, the, uh, in, Mo, in the, um, the book of Moses or uh, Exodus because he wanted to set up this system. Saying, how do you live? Because we, honestly, guys, everybody look at me. We, we don't know how to live, some of us. 
We live by the moment. We live by fear. We live by anxiety. We live by all these different things. We live by what our mother says or how we, we live by what we think of ourselves or what people think of us. And we don't live by what God, how God wants us to treat one another, how God wants us to treat ourselves. And so he says this. He says uh, in verse 5, Now then, if you indeed obey my voice... So that's that listening, and you obey it, and you keep my covenant, that you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a king, a kingdom of priests. And that's, that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful picture, and you saw that in the video, you heard it in the video, that that's what we're supposed to be, this kingdom of priests, uh, this kingdom of people who are living out uh, who God is and being that message to everyone. And then it says this, it says, uh, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he set before them all these words. Now, we didn't hear the word commandment in in, in Exodus till about uh, till 32, chapter 32. And he called this, when he goes into the Ten Commandments, it really wasn't the Ten Commandments. Uh, biblically, in the Hebrew, it said it was, the, it was the, these words. So these are the words that you listen to, right? It says, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Moses went up to the mountain. If you go back and, and look at it, he went up and down seven times times to hear about God, to get the message from God. That's a lot of trips, uh, seven times up and down that mountain to get these messages. It's pretty interesting. Then it says this, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear. And when I speak with you. So in other words, he said, I want these people to understand that even though you're up there and this is what we don't think about. So in chapter 32 that we'll look at next week is, uh, is, and I love that they brought that out in the video that while they're down there getting impatient with God, even though God has taken them in and, and, and treated them like little eaglets and protected them under wings, and they could hear, every time Moses went up, they could hear the thunder, they could see the lightning, they could see the cloud. It was a constant remembrance of who God was, that God was with them, but they always forgot. It is no different today. So when Christ comes into our life, he really comes into our life. Then they built the tabernacle and they would have to go see God. But watch this, y'all. Once Jesus Christ uh, 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 died on the cross, rose again, and we confess him, we are the tabernacle. And we are the, we within us, we know that God is within us, but we still make these mistakes. It's no different than them that could see physically God, but we know by the word of God that Christ is in us. Um, I read it right, that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who live in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. So Christ is in us. No different When you accept Christ, he's in you. It's a constant reminder. We are the tabernacle. And while they were there, they were looking up at God and they could see his movement and they still got impatient. It's no different. Uh, I don't know who said it, uh, but uh, if somebody said, if we've learned anything from history itself is that we have not learned anything from history. We haven't. We, We still battle. We still fight. We still are unforgiving. We're still mean to people. And then we change it, but we always go back to it. It's like, 
History repeats itself all the time, and we can't learn anything from it, or it seems that we can't. And so they're looking up there, and God said, hey, I want them to see me. I want them to know that I'm with them. And the Lord said to Moses, now I want you to go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Now, so now we know we're supposed to listen, we're supposed to obey, but also the thing he says, now I want them to consecrate themselves. Really that consecration, that, that part is that we set ourselves apart. When I, was at a, when I did youth camps, uh, uh, we would go and do super summers, and I love that at, we've had this training for two days. All these, you know, you know, 150 workers about to take all these kids that are going to be dropped off for us to be given to us for a week. And we always had a consecration service. And I loved that because what it was saying is after our training, before the kids came out, I mean, a, an hour and a half before the first bus came, all of us would just get on our knees and we'd have this, uh, we would have this uh, Lord's Supper and we would consecrate ourselves to say, we are setting ourselves apart for these four and a half days to impact people's lives, kids' lives, students' lives for the gospel. And what he was saying, I want you to listen. I want you to obey the commandments that I get you, give you, but you need to consecrate yourself. Watch this. Everybody look right here. Every day, and I don't do it every day, but I wish I, I, wish I could. Every day you ought to get up in the morning, put your feet on the floor. And before you get your first cup of coffee, you ought to say, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to obey what you want me to do. And I want you to, I want to consecrate myself right now to say I've been set apart for your purposes today. Help me to do that. And then you step out and then you go get your coffee. And then you go get your breakfast and then you get ready. Every day we have to say, Lord, I'm set apart for you. Because uh, uh, the, the best time of our lives, that we're not sinning, is probably when we're sleeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's see, some of you go, oh, Pat, you don't know my dreams. Okay, well, we don't control that. But here's the thing, that's the time. And even during that time, it says in the scripture that God is singing over us. And he says, when you get up in the morning, what is new every morning? Anybody? Your mercies are new every morning. So if we wake up to the mercy of God, we ought to at least say thank you and consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And this is what he's setting up. And then it says this. He said, I want you to consecrate them and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now, what I wanted us to do is skip over to uh, chapter 20. Now, we know that uh, between verses 16 and 25, that's Moses going up to the, to the mountain. He's setting things up. And then we go to the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people like to camp here, but I just want to quickly go over these, and, and then we'll close to the day, for the day. And then I want you to, this week to read all those sundry laws that they came up with. And, you, and I want you, when you read it, I want you to think about a million and a half people heading out together, camping at a spot for two or three days, and all the problems that could uh, happen there. Everybody got it? Yeah. Uh, you know what I hear mostly uh, about people who come to church? They, they love to say this and say, I love your church because it's small. When, when we had 40, oh, I love it because it's small. And then we got 100. Oh, I love the church because, oh, 150. And then they go, wow, it's so big. You go, no, it's really not big. But the larger we get, right, we have personalities. 
And that's why people like it small. Listen, I, I just want to stick. And then somebody will say, your church is full of cliques. You go, no, it's not clique. It's just people like that group of people uh, that they like to hang around with. And that's okay even in the body of Christ. But they began to get together. And when you read those laws, I want you to, to really think about these people growing. All right? Remember, it, it was years and years that they were in this wilderness. So kids were born, crying babies. Grandmothers, grandfathers passed away, daddies, fathers, uh, uh, moms passed away. It was just life was going on. But then it said, then God spoke all these words. Remember, it wasn't the Ten Commandments that he spoke all these words. And the first one is, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And what I'm going to do is put this in our, what I see in our vernacular today after I read through them. It says, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Or, now I want you to listen close to this, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. I mean, you know we have denominations that have statues of things that are in heaven. Things that are under the earth. Listen, you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children in the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And people say, what does that mean? It, really, that word vain in the Hebrew can be, so you should not use the Lord's name with an with, with understanding of falseness. It's false. I do believe that, and also that you just, you just put it out there, you know. So somebody may use a name. They go, oh, you just took the name of the Lord in vain when you say, you know, one, God's name and then another name, the thing that holds back the water. Okay, so when you do that, yes, I do believe that is a false statement about God. So we have to be careful. In other words, he wants his, he wants his name to be revered. He wants his name to be honored. Uh, uh, and so uh, when we do that, just be mindful of that, that you don't use it toward anything that would be considered false. God doesn't want that. And of course, in the, to the Jews, even saying the name Yahweh is something you didn't do in public. Right? You called him Jehovah. So, here's the thing. Just be careful not to use his name in vain. Attach it to anything that's empty. And it's not our law. It's God's law. It's God says, hey, I want you not to do this. I want you to take me seriously. Okay? It says this. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's that day of rest. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, do, you shall do, not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who, who stays with you. In other words, somebody came up and stayed with them, and it was on the Sabbath. They go, well, I'm going to head out. And they go, no, you can't. It's the Sabbath. You don't need to walk anywhere. You stay here, and you rest, and we remember the Lord. And that's why we have this day, that we'd all remember Christ. We come to church and get together, you know. And it says this, for in the sixth day the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here it is. Honor your father and mother 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord, uh, which the Lord your God gives you. You know, that's one of the hardest commandments for me. And for some people it is, that you would honor your father and mother. Because many of our fathers and mothers don't know Jesus Christ. They don't have God in their home. They don't act like I know people. And they go, what do I do with this, Pat? And I go, that's a tough one. You honor them that you're your parents. You do what they ask you. But you live the way God wants you to live no matter what. That means you still honor them. You treat them with kindness. Even though they beat me? Yes. Right? It's hard. Like me not really having a father. How can I honor my father? How can I honor my mother? I honor my mom in many, many ways. I honored her by not telling things that my father did to me because it would break her heart, so I honored her. Right? So there are points that you can honor your mother and father that uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. Even kids that would come up to me and say, hey, uh, God wants me to get baptized because I came to Christ, but my mom and dad won't. And I would tell them, honor your mother and father. You're still under them. And let them see you honor them and say, Mom and Dad, God wants me to get baptized, but he also wants me to honor you, so I'm going to do that. And I've seen more parents give in because they saw their kid not fighting for something and being rebellious, and the fact that they honored them allowed them to get baptized. You can honor. And this was important to God. You think about it. He put that in there. Honor your father. If we honored our father and mother, you realize, if every person honored their father and mother, just this law alone, do you realize how much better our world would be? Do you know how much, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at teachers. Do you realize how much better the children would be in school? Because if you can't honor your, those who are closest to you, you're probably not going to honor those out there. The only way that they start honoring you is that you act better than their parents, right? So they honor you, and you can teach them. I had many parents that I honored that weren't my parents, but that went a long way with me, all right? It says this. It says, Honor your father that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And then it goes on. You shall not murder. You know, I wonder how many of that 1.5 or 2 million people that were walking around Somebody murdered somebody because they just got mad. He's going, no, you can't, you can't do that anymore. That's not the way it works. The other, the other people out there that they were going to encounter, listen, watch this. They had their thing, and you just, if somebody does something to you, you kill them. And he's going, we're different. We're not going to do that. Don't murder. And then he said this. He said, don't commit adultery. Imagine that people were sleeping with one another and having adulterous affairs with one another. And God says, Let's go. That, that, that's got to quit. We can't do that. It says, uh, do not, do not steal. So, and then it says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor's. And all the people perceived that the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when, and when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. So there was a point, now watch this, that they're all at the base of the mountain and they know what's going on up there. And remember Moses coming down those seven times. And, and they're going, we hear this. We even see this on your face. You just be our messenger. There was a time where they honored God. 
There was a time that they were fearful of God. There was a time that they knew that, man, God, this is serious stuff. But then it changed in chapter 32. They still saw it and they said, we don't need to sing. Just tell us this message. So what I want to do uh, in closing is just go over these laws. If I were to look at this and say, well, what is it? Here's what God's saying to all of us today. Watch this. Just me. That was that first command. I want you to love and honor just me. I'm the only God. You can't throw a bunch of gods together. You can't throw me in with the idol you've been worshiping. You can't throw me in with a calf. Today, you can't throw me in with anything on earth. You can't throw me in with Buddha. You can't throw me in with uh, any type of uh, Eastern religion. You can't throw anything on top of me. I want you exclusively, and I want you to trust me exclusively. Second, watch this, just me. Number two, just so we're clear, nothing else. Right? I want it to be about just me, nothing else. No idol, nothing else. Just me. Now think about that. You're going, that's redundant. Yeah, I think God was trying to tell us in his first, in his words, just me and nothing else but me. And then he says, because I am jealous. So when we start to believe other things and we fall for a lie or we fall into fear, God goes, I am jealous that you are putting fear in front of me and that you're putting uh, 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 other things in front of me. You're putting your anxiety. You're, you're saying that anxiety is going to get you through bigger than I can, more than I can. Me, just me, because I'm jealous. And then when you say, take the name of the Lord in vain, he, 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 almost like he did it again, he said, and listen, just so you understand, you need to take who I am seriously. You need to take who I am seriously. Don't attach me to anything that's false. Don't attach me to anything that you think is better than me. Don't attach me to any of your fears because that's not me. Don't attach me to that anxiety because that's not me. I mean, the first four commandments, it's me, just me, nothing else but me. It's because I'm jealous and you better take me seriously. Be careful how you treat me. Right? And listen, then he said, and I want you to rest because the busier you are, uh, the more you get away from me, uh, the more you go about your work. It's true, isn't it? The more we go about our work, we just fall further away from the Lord. We get in with a bunch of guys at work and they start cussing and they're using the Lord's vein and then you start doing it and you do it for five days and then you go back and God says, hey, listen, Sunday is a reset. You rest and remember who you are and go back to number one. Remember, it should have been about just me this week. Me and only me, nobody else. I'm jealous for you. I, I, I want you to take me seriously this week. And the reason is, I'm going to remind you every Sunday. People say, why do I get away from church? I always feel better when I'm in church. It's not because it's a, a light sermon or because it's because God's trying to remind you who he is. And then it says this. And then he said, honor your parents. Listen, I know even the older people in the room, sometimes it's hard to honor your parents, isn't it? Yeah? But honor your parents. Treat them with kindness. Don't, even though they 
they may be old, they may be frail, even though they may be forgetful, even though they talk real loud. As you, I'm talking to the parents that have parents that are out there. Even though dementia has set in, you honor your parents. You know what? You know, we forget the last part of that. When you honor your parents, you prolong your life. Right? That's what it says. Honor your parents. And God says, hey, don't forget. Honor me, but don't forget those parents that birthed you. And some of us, again, I want to remind the younger ones, some of us have parents that are really good, and some of your friends have parents that are really bad. And you know what? When they honor your parents, when your friends honor your parents, it's because they see value in them, and they're learning from them. Allow that. Don't ever look at them and say, you don't have to tell them that over and over. They want wisdom, and that's why they, they treat your parents that way. Right? Then it says this. Uh, very simple. Hey, don't kill. How about that? It's just a simple one. Don't kill one another. Just don't kill. That's easy, isn't it? Don't kill. Would it be easier to kill? For some people, yes. But don't do it. Nothing's worth that. And then it says, don't commit adultery. Man, adultery is running rampant. It's been running rampant for years. People jump into relationships. They get, and I'm, telling, I'm talking to you, that, man, it may be that you and your wife or, or you and your husband aren't kind of getting along for a while, and we, we jump into somebody else's life. And there, there are some strange things that have happened over my short 34, five years in ministry. And so you have to be careful. But he said, don't commit adultery. Be very careful. Oh, I was weak. Don't commit adultery. God's trying to save marriages. God's trying to say, hey, listen, you'll get through whatever you're doing, but don't go to another woman and don't go to another man. This is your marriage. Protect it. We give away. We give away our marriages so easy. And things are really different these days, aren't they? They really are. They're really different in the way people get to know one another. One another. They're really different in how people, uh, uh, um, what's the word, uh, how they uh, get to know one another when they're dating. I'm trying to find that word. Uh, they get to know one another. What's that? When they, it's communicate, but when they get together and they just kind of uh, get to know one another. But what happens is it's, it's, it's almost like they know each other through the phone more than they know each other through talking. I always tell couples when I get married, watch this. I say, don't, as, you're, as you're dating, uh, don't go to a movie. Do something together. My wife and I go to a movie, and you know how many, how many times? Here's, here's what we do when we sit down in a movie. Of course, we're married, we're committed, and here's what we do. This is the conversation. I need a junior mint. I'm going to the bathroom, Okay. There's no communication. Why would people date that I, tell them, I always tell them, don't go to a movie. You don't, it's like you're sitting down for two and a half hours and you're not getting to know one another. You're just talking. No, you're not. You're watching a movie. I always tell people, go do something different. Get out there and do something. Because many people get married and they don't know one another. And then that's where these affairs happen. All right? Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. And listen, don't steal. Don't steal. See, the things are so basic, but he was trying to set it. He said, don't bear false witness. Don't bear false witness. In other words, don't, don't tell something that's false about your neighbor, about your friend. Don't stir that up. And then they perceived all that and said, we're with you. 
So what I want you to walk away with today is that every day what God's trying to tell them, he's trying to bring them together and say, I'm going to teach you how to live. And then Jesus comes along and he teaches us something deeper. Right? And it was all to bring this relationship with God and his people back together. So what do you do this week? This is it. Listen. Listen through reading his word. Listen to the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Watch this. Obey. Do what it says, even though you don't want to. Obey. Live the fruits of the Spirit. Obey the fruits of the Spirit. Consecrate. Every morning, if you're able, get up and say, I set myself apart this day for you and you only. And see what will happen. Try it for a month. So, you know, every day I'm going to try to get up and do that. And God has set all this up to protect us, right? To provide for us, to keep our marriages strong, to keep us from going to jail. He's doing that for us. What a great God that we have. So read through those other laws and you'll see the humanity within there and why these things had to happen. And then we'll come back at chapter 32 next week, okay? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Y'all have a great, great week, okay? Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for um, this message that um, helps us to know how much you loved us and how much you still love us and you want to be a part of our lives and you want to want us to give you great glory and to be your priest and to tell others about you and to show your kindness and your love and your grace. Help us not to forget that you still uh, hate sin, but you love us so much even through the process. Thank you for making a way for us through the cross of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. Thanks for coming.